Hi there, very warm welcome to you. My name's Toby, I'm one of the leaders at King's Community Church and um, this is um, part of our preaching series through August. If uh, for those that are unable to gather with us in person at the King's Centre, you're more than welcome to join us. Come for the first time, come and find out a bit more of what we're about. Or maybe you're part of the church family and you're watching this because you just can't make it down to gather in person at the minute. We hope these are helpful and encouraging to you. We're currently working our way through um, a little series through August called The Heart of Christ and we're sort of loosely basing it on the book or some different chapters of the book in Gentle and Lowly, superb book. Highly recommend getting hold of a copy, have a read of it, we think it'll do you good um, and you'll enjoy it, a bit of, good bit of summer reading. Um, and last week we looked at a, a passage from Matthew 11 verse 28 to 30 where Jesus gives this beautiful invitation to those that are heavy, weighed down with life, a bit weary. He says, come to me if, if you're like that, come to me and, and take my yoke upon you, take my way of living upon you, take his words upon you, take his truth into your lives, put your trust in him, um, lean into Jesus and he says, I'll give you wonderful rest for your souls. And I love the ver um, quote from Augustine, kind of old school theologian from many, many hundreds of years ago, says, our hearts are restless until they can find their rest in you. So we unpacked what that verse meant. Um, but this week I want to look at Christ's heart in action, start to look at some of the stories in the gospel to see, well, what does it actually look like? For, for Jesus to have that heart of gentleness and humility and, and tenderness and openness towards us. What does it look like in action? And I want to sort of launch out from a verse in Matthew chapter 9, verse 36. So if you've got a Bible, um, turn to it, but we're going to be in a few different places in the Gospels today. But 9, verse 36, and the context of this is Jesus has been encountering uh, people's uh, struggles, their suffering, their sickness, and then it says this, seeing the people, he felt compassion for them because they were distressed and dispirited like sheep without a shepherd. Seeing the people. What do you think God looks like, um, th thinks, feels um, when he, he sees you? When he, right now at this moment, what does God feel towards you, do you think? How would you answer that question? Well, here we see Jesus seeing the people. He, he didn't feel disgust. He didn't feel disappointment. He didn't feel dismay. It says that he felt compassion for them. Felt something for them. And this word compassion, the English word means to kind of suffer alongside. The word that's used here speaks about a, a feeling in the guts. It's kind of a moved in his emotions. Um, Jesus wasn't a sort of emotionless sort of stoic. He, he, he was moved in his emotions. We read in other places in the Gospels where Jesus wept. He felt these things in the core of who he was. And why did he feel that when he looked out across the people? Why did he feel that compassion for them? Well, it says, because they were distressed and dispirited, like sheep without a shepherd. Distressed, what does that mean? It means to be troubled, to be harassed. Um, things kind of bugging us, things weighing on our hearts and our minds. We, and um, it may be you're experiencing that at the minute. We sometimes go through days, maybe weeks, maybe months sometimes. You're just feeling dis distressed about things. Maybe it's illness, maybe it's a family situation, maybe it's a job, maybe it's financial, maybe it's to do with um, COVID and all that we've been going through. But these people Jesus looked at, he felt compassion 
because they were distressed. That's how God feels towards us when we're like that. Since they were dispirited, this sense of thrown down or cast down or downcast, their heads had gone down, barely making it, sheep without a shepherd. What's a sheep like without a shepherd? Well, just use your imagination, I guess. A sheep without a shepherd, it's just wandering around. It's, it's a bit aimless, there's no direction. Maybe it's lost, maybe would more easily get into danger and harm itself and so on. So Jesus looks out across the crowds and says, wow, they're like sheep without a shepherd, distressed, dispirited. And in Matthew 14, we see the same words are used there to describe how Jesus felt about the crowds as well, that he saw the crowds, he felt compassion for them. And the context of those verses is, uh, Jesus goes on to feed these people, feeding of the 5,000, you may know that story. And so, like a good shepherd, he takes care of the, the sheep that, that don't have food and he feeds them. But the context of it in Matthew 14 is, Jesus has just withdrew, withdrawn to get some time on his own. He's just heard that his his cousin, John the Baptist, has, has been beheaded, has been killed. And hearing that news, it says that he withdrew. And yet the crowds are following him. Even when Jesus maybe needed that space and that time to process what had happened and to pray and to work it through, seeing the crowds, he felt compassion for them and it led him to take action towards them and feed them and care for them and gather them together. We see the heart of God here filled with compassion. He gives of himself in self-sacrificial ways. That's what we see in the heart of God. That's what we see in the person of Christ. That's God's heart towards us. It's a heart of compassion, wanting to help. And we start to see that fleshed out through the Gospels. And a few things that I think we learn through the Gospels here about Jesus' heart in action towards us. And the first is this, our sin doesn't repel him. Um, Jesus told these parables and, and we see God's heart Christ's heart reflected in the parables that he told. One of them in Luke 15, um, story of the two sons, one of them who, who wishes his father was dead, takes the inheritance money, goes off and blows it, makes an absolute mess of his life, ends up in a pigsty in mess and in muck and decides, I've got to go back to my father. What sort of welcome is he going to get? When he's shamed his father, he's brought shame on the family. You know, Can he even go back and, and work as a slave for his dad? And there's that beautiful verse in, in Luke's Gospel in, um, in chapter 15 where it says, As the Father saw the Son coming towards him, it says, Filled with compassion, he ran towards him. I imagine the Son was kind of distressed and dispirited and was a bit like a sheep without a shepherd. Well, what is God's heart towards us when we're in that place? It's expressed right here. Filled with compassion, he ran towards him. God doesn't run away from us <laughs> in our sin. He doesn't um, hold us at a distance. The Father embraced the Son. He received him back in. He covered over his muck. And we see here the costly love of God, um, driven by compassion, which points us to the cross, the, the giving of, of, of the Son. Jesus gives his life for us to, to clean us up, to forgive us, to to take the penalty that you and I deserve for the things that we've done wrong. He stands in our place. He takes our shame. As the father ran through the village, as it were, and covered the son, he was doing that. He was covering the shame of the son. He was, he was, he was paying a cost in doing that. And that's what God does for us. That's what Jesus has done for us. And so our sin doesn't repel him. 
If the son had stayed away, if the son had just thought, no, you know, God won't receive me back, he'd have died in the pigsty. He'd have stayed separated. And Jesus speaks about that, that separation from God that can happen if we just stay away from him. But actually we see the heart of God. Jesus saying, no, God isn't like that. God wants you back. God wants you to come just as you are with all your mess in your muck and to fall into his arms of grace. That's what it looks like. Don't run away from him when we've sinned. Don't run away from him when we've messed up but run towards him and recognize in this story we see what God's heart is towards us when we're in that place. So our sin doesn't repel him. Our failures don't surprise him. I don't know if you've ever been disappointed by your own failure. Maybe you've messed up and you've just done some things and you're disappointed at yourself for failing. Well, in Matthew chapter 26, we see this with one of Jesus' disciples, Peter. We see his failure. We see him denying that he knew Jesus three times after saying, no, I'll never deny you, I'll stand with you, I'll follow you to your death kind of thing. But Jesus had warned him. He says this, Satan has desired to sift you as wheat, he's speaking to Peter, but I've prayed for you that your faith may not fail. And one thing we learn from this is, well, Jesus saw Peter's failure coming and he prayed for him. He prayed that his faith wouldn't fail. He knew Peter would fail. But he prayed that through that failure, Peter's faith in Jesus, his trust in Jesus, wouldn't fail. And then we see the lovely story, the wonderful story at the end of John's Gospel, um, where, where Jesus restores Peter, where he, 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 he goes to him, he had breakfast on the beach, and then uh, Jesus basically says, you know, do you love me, Peter? And Peter's like, yeah, I love you. He says, I'll feed my sheep. Get back on track. Do what I've called you to do now. Even through your failure, you've come through. Put your trust in me now. Follow after me. It's wonderful. We see our failures don't surprise him. <laughs> He's not surprised when we do mess up. He's not surprised when we fail. And... Um, and so, again, it's similar to what I've just said about sin. Our sin doesn't repel him. Don't turn the other way and think, well, I've failed. I can't approach God. I can't go to him. No, no, no. Run towards him. Go to him. We see God's heart towards us in, in this, reflected in these stories in, in, in the Gospels and there with Peter. And the third thing is this. Our doubts don't distance him um, or disturb God. I think... I don't know if you ever struggled with doubts, you know, well, you know, believing God for stuff or believing God is even there or believing God cares or whatever. You've had those moments of doubt and sometimes it's when we face difficult situations, when we face suffering, when we face sickness, maybe it raises questions in our minds. Well, how does God deal with this in those moments? What is God's heart towards us when we do struggle with doubts? Well, again, in Mark chapter 9, we read the story of the father who brings his child to Jesus, who's, who's sick and suffering. And, and, and Jesus says, if you believe, and the, the father's response is, I believe. Now help me in my unbelief. I think that what Jesus doesn't say there to the father is, well, you need flawless faith. No, I can't help you in your unbelief. Jesus doesn't respond like that at all. Even after the resurrection, we read the story of um, whether it's Thomas and the other disciples and the end of Matthew's Gospel, Matthew 28, and we read that as they, they encounter the resurrected Christ, it says they worshipped and some doubted. They, to doubt is to waver, to be uncertain, to have a bit of an inner conflict over what is going on here. 
And I love it actually that, that these 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 doubts are there in the Gospels. They're, they're, the disciples themselves are struggling with this sometimes. So what is Jesus' heart towards those who doubt? Well, in Jude verse 22, Jude is kind of this very small letter towards the end of the New Testament. In my Bible it's literally just one page and it can often get missed. But in verse 22 in Jude, and um, this Jude there was uh, could well be um, uh, one of Jesus' brothers. But Jude writes this, Have mercy on those who doubt, those that are wavering, those that are um, uncertain, where there's inner conflict in someone to do with faith and putting their trust in Jesus and so on. Have mercy on those who doubt. Maybe even Jude himself, Jesus' younger brother, was one who, who doubted. Maybe you can relate to that. Maybe you've been through times where you've struggled with questions and doubts and wavering and inner conflict. I certainly have. So what is God's heart towards us? Well, I think we see it here in what Jude says. Have mercy on those who doubt. Maybe Jude himself had been one of those as he saw his brother Jesus, this resurrected one, the one who claimed to be the Messiah, the fulfillment of the Old Testament. Of course you're going to have struggles if your own brother is claiming these things and doing these things and, and so on. And maybe Jude had experienced mercy, the mercy of God expressed through Christ. Maybe he'd experienced mercy in his own doubts from Jesus. And uh, I'd encourage you, maybe if you're struggling in that today, maybe to make this Father's Prayer in Mark chapter 9 your own prayer. I believe. Now, help me in my unbelief. Help me in my doubts. Help me when I'm wavering. I'd encourage you, talk to someone about it as well. Work it through with someone. But here in these things, we see God's heart in action, and we could go on. There's so many more examples, that, but we, we, we touched on our sin doesn't repel him. Our failures don't surprise him. Our doubts don't disturb him. And again, like I said, many examples throughout the Gospels, more than that, as we start to see God's heart in action, and we'll start to explore more of those in the next couple of weeks. But there's a quote from Dane Ortland in this book, Gentle and Lowly, who says this, This is deeper than saying Jesus is loving or merciful or gracious. The cumulative testimony of the four Gospels is that when Jesus Christ sees the fallenness of the world all about him, his deepest impulse, his most natural instinct, is to move towards that sin and suffering and our struggles and not away from it. That's God's heart towards us. His, nat- most, his deepest, his most natural instinct is to move towards that sin and suffering. And that means towards us, not away from it. And Jesus, it says in the Bible, is, God, is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And he says he's at work today by the Holy Spirit in exactly the same way in our lives that we can approach him by praying, by calling out to him, by reading his word. The Bible says it's alive, it's active, it's living. And I'd encourage you, if you're struggling with what's God's heart towards me, read the Gospels, read the stories that that I've touched on today. Um, Let them uh, shape your thinking about what God's heart is towards you and towards me as well. But there's just one more thing I want to touch on, and that's our response. If you're a Christian, and if we follow Jesus, well, what does it mean for our lives and the way we treat others? And in Colossians uh, chapter 3, verse 12, says this, So as those who have been chosen of God, holy and beloved, put on a heart of compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness and patience, 
bearing with one another and forgiving each other. Whoever has a complaint against anyone, just as the Lord forgave you, so also you should forgive them. Beyond all these things, put on love, which is the perfect bond of unity. Here we see there that, that, that those that have experienced God's heart towards them in Jesus and what he's done for us, it, it changes us and helps us to be that way with others. And we start to resist the temptation to allow others' sin to repel us or to be shocked by another's failure somehow, that, that, that we wouldn't fail in that way, that, 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 that wow, we're, we're above people in some way. No, we're not at all. And I think God, as we experience the grace and love of God, as we experience that, we, in turn, are able to do that, put on love, put on kindness, put on compassion. Basically, it's put on the heart of Christ towards other people. And we start to show um, grace and love and understanding to those that are doubting, maybe show mercy, show that sense of listening to them, um, uh, having patience with them, uh, pouring out, as God has poured grace and love into our lives, we get to pour that out to other people as well. And I'd encourage you maybe this week, spend some time meditating on those verses in Colossians chapter 3, verse 12 to 14. As we experience the, the love of God in Jesus, we experience God's heart towards us. He changes our heart and enables us to pour that heart out to other people. And I pray that this week. I, I, I pray, for that Lord, that each one of us listening, wherever we're at, would know more and more and deeper and deeper knowledge of what your heart is like towards us. And you'd give us opportunities to then live that out in the world, that other people would be touched by the grace and the love and the compassion that you've touched our lives with, would then impact others in Jesus' name. Amen. Really good to be with you. Take care and maybe see you in person sometime. Bye.